Agriculture is as foundational as it gets, but sometimes the coverage doesn't do it justice. That's not the case with Damian Mason, host of the Business of Agriculture. Ag people can handle the truth. Ag people like the truth. I think what I do is I connect the dots between you know agricultural economics, current events, production ag issues, something's going on in the world, and bring it to them and make it about their industry. There's an appreciation there. Welcome to Redox Grows, an in-depth look at key issues affecting agriculture and the people that make it all happen. I'm your host, Jim Morris. Damian Mason is a leading ag communicator, and he paid a visit to our headquarters in Burley, Idaho. We will hear from him next. Nice to see you, Damian. How was your travel from Salt Lake City here to Burley? It was doing very, very well until I hit the Idaho line and the hail began. So I don't know what the hell happened, but you guys uh, decided to bring out the, the hail to welcome me to your fair state. Uh, but it's okay, I survived. And of course, the Idaho weather changes like for other states. We give it an hour and it's beautiful. We we're able to tour our facility. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But you're a renowned businessman, author, podcaster, public speaker, but you have a not so glamorous life sometimes on the road. One of your recent newsletters talked about all the different places that you go to, many of them rural. So what were some of your recent stops and how is the travel in the wintertime? Winter travel is a challenge. I live in Arizona half the year because I don't like winter, but as my wife says, uh, people that don't keep up with me on social media, they say, oh, you missed a bad winter. She says, did you not see he was in Mankato, Winnipeg, Bismarck, you know, you name it. So yeah, some of the highlights, uh, I work in the Dakotas a fair amount. You know, you talk about that middle part of the country where there, there's a lot of agriculture, I'm there. So Wisconsin uh, has been a stop. I've been to Wisconsin. I've been to Aberdeen, South Dakota. I've been to Winnipeg. I've been to Omaha, uh, you know, through that whole up and down belt, um, you know, Fargo, Sioux Falls, etc. cetera. I, I like those places. I like the people of agriculture. When you work in ag, you get to smaller towns like here we are in Burley. And it's not that Burley's like a, a little village, but compared to certainly a, a large metroplex, it's, it's a little bit more small towny. So I always get treated well here. You know, it's where ag happens, and uh, that, that part's fine. We still do relationships in our business, and we still, uh, you know, we still have a degree of what made America what it is, which is uh, small-town roots and agriculture, so it's okay. The challenging thing is when you're in a town, say, the size of Fargo, you've got more limited air service, and then you throw a blizzard and some 14-degree below zero and 40-mile-an-hour wind conditions in there. You know, you, you cancel a flight or two, and now you're really scrambling to get to the next town that's what we had uh, last month was uh was scrambling and i ended up having to buy a 2400 hundred dollar ticket to get from fargo to miami to do a, an event for basf but you do what you got to do because uh you know mother nature i can empathize with you a little bit uh one of my recent trips out of boise it was four degrees that morning and our air carrier ran out of de-icer so i was stuck at the airport for nine solid hours but you know that's just part of the glamorous world of travel so when we look at small towns you talked about the the people what is a common thread from one small town to the other about the type of individuals you're going to see in agriculture and rural america well, I like rural America. I'm from rural America. I'm from a factory and farming town. It's it's not small compared to some of the more desolate places that I get to. Huntington, Indiana is a county of about 36,000, and the, the county seat's about uh, 16 or 17,000. I've worked in ag, been around ag my whole life. I, 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 I like the real aspect of it. You know, you all of a sudden are in a Powell, Wyoming, and you're doing a... Uh, speech for the sugar people in Powell, you know, or uh, in Powell, Wyoming, at the Elks Lodge. You know, they're good folks, and they they relate to me, and I relate to them. 
I, I like ag. I like the people that are in ag. And I bring a little different picture to them. It's respectful, but honest. I say, okay, you know, here's where we screw things up. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, my wife says, you know, you tell ag people stuff that's not necessarily always glowing and, and uh, you know, a bunch of butterfly stuff. So I said, no, but it's honest. And they appreciate that. I think there's a degree of appreciation. Ag people can handle the truth. Ag people like the truth. Ag people... Uh, you know, realize that they can gather from something like me that's all over the country all the time, they kind of absorb that. So I, I think what I do is I connect the dots between, you know, agricultural economics, current events, production ag issues, something's going on in the world, and bring it to them and make it about their industry. There's an appreciation there. It's frustrating to me that agriculture is sometimes not presented in an exciting way. It's very foundational for us. Is it frustrating for you to hear some of the other reports that are rather dull and don't make the connection between farmer and consumer, things of that nature? Yeah, if you think about Jim, like, okay, I live in Arizona half the year in a, in a suburban area. So if I were to talk to my people out there, now my friends know, but the say it was a casual acquaintance. Oh, I understand you work in agriculture. So that means you, uh, you, you're a farmer. Like, well, I own farm ground. I actually rent it out. I don't understand. They don't understand. So the average person in the suburbs doesn't understand any of this. When I say, yeah, I rent my farm ground out. Well, I don't know what that means. Why would, why would you rent it out? Why would they pay rent for your, they don't understand that, you know, 40% of America's farmland on average is rented. When Lori, my wife, might say, well, Damien speaks at agricultural events. They think that I'm showing up in, you know, bib overalls to talk to people in a barn. I'm like, where, where are you work? And I was interviewed once by uh, media that asked me, so, like, you do a lot of events in barns? I said, well, I've done some events in barns. Uh, like, where are you going to be next? I said, um, at a water park and convention center in Wisconsin Dells. I understand. I, I worked up for an ag. I said, yeah, the chemical company that's hiring me is taking all of their sales reps for two states to this place so yeah there's a misconception or almost it's almost insulting when you think about some some of the things that non-ag people think when they think about ag and do we still have some rough edges yeah do we still have a few people that are in our industry that uh, that need to be brought up to the 21st century certainly but when you talk about these guys are sitting here at your your conference room here in, in the Redox facility, Jim. We'll talk about a guy that farms thousands of acres, has uh, a plant, a, a feed, a grain milling business, has a feed yard, has a cow calf operation. This is a not, this is a smart guy. The gentleman you referred to, Blake Matthews, who's a longtime customer of Redox. We also had Jared Cook from Rocky Mountain, one of our ag retailers, and an excellent agronomist, and of course Darren Moon, the owner, founder, and CEO of Redox. Let's talk about your visit here to our headquarters and research farm. What are your impressions? Very nice facility, state-of-the-art, top-notch. And, you know, offices are offices, and your offices are very, very nice. It's a beautiful building. It looks like it could be, uh, you know, straight out of, uh, you know, the mountains in Aspen or something because of the, the, the style and the decor. And there are mountains. I'm looking at them right outside this window here. But you also got a, a simulated golf green. I don't mean simulated like we're going to top golf. I mean it's it's an area where you then do your experimentation on Redox products. You've got a simulated fairway. You've got a greenhouse. You know, People think that big companies, because they do have money and they do spend money in R&D. I was at a, a BASF function uh, and BASF, one of their VPs for the United States ag sector, got up and said, you know, 
we spend $3 million a day on research. Well, a company Redox Society isn't spending $3 million on research, but on a percentage or on a, on a per rata basis, you're really talking about a similar thing here. When I see two of your employees with laptops out in a greenhouse, I'm, I'm impressed. And we looked at a replica of an apple orchard, and, and we talked about the different trials you're doing there. It's impressive because it's not just uh, a sales-oriented company, it's a product-oriented company that also seems to understand culture, and that's impressive. Let's talk about biostimulants briefly. It's a growing field, about 1,200 different companies now in the category, a lot of venture capital involved. And I'd like your impression of new technology in agriculture, the receptivity of farmers, whether it is biostimulants or whether it's other technology. What do you think uh, is the receptivity of growers? They obviously have a lot of pressure to make a profit and a lot of variables in their existence. So how promising do you think some of this new technology is? I think some of it's very promising. I think some of it is snake oil. And I, I'm not uh, being anti-anything. I'm being very realistic. You have this amount of flood of money that comes to a space. I can compare it to the dot-com uh, industry. I've put up a slide before that talks about these companies are in this space. I compare it to uh, 100 years ago. Uh, or a little more than that, 113 years ago, 1911 was the first Indianapolis 500. I wasn't there. I have been to every Indianapolis 500 since 1992. I'm a big IndyCar fan. The reason the Indianapolis 500 got invented in 1911 is because there were more than 100 manufacturers of automobiles in my home state of Indiana. Carl Fisher and three other guys got together, one of the Allisons, and said, let's create a sweepstakes. We're going to give a cash prize for... All the entrants that can come here, all these manufacturers of cars, and we want them to come to Indianapolis and drive this two-and-a-half-mile oval for 500 miles, and a car that does it the fastest is going to get all this money. It was a challenge to create technology. It was a challenge to create longevity, a car that could actually make it 500 miles. Why am I telling this about when you ask about biologicals? Right now, we're 1911. Right now, we're 1912. Right now, we're 1914. It's still early on with these biologicals. 1,200 of them are not going to cross the finish line. <laughs> Just like 100 companies that made cars that you've never even heard of existed in Indiana 113 years ago. That's where we are. It's exciting. It should be exciting. You know what? It was exciting to see those manufacturers, Stutz and, and Studebaker and all these companies that aren't even around anymore, compete. That's where we are. There's going to be consolidation. There's going to be companies that stub their toe. There's going to be biologicals that are found out to be they just don't work. And they're going to go away. They'll be bought. They'll be go away. Whatever that thing is. Here's the thing. And since you guys sponsor my podcast and you listen to my Business of Agriculture podcast, you've heard me make the point, Jim. I say, you know what? I'm out in this space. I am at these ag meetings and I see these companies and they've got a year track record or no track record and they've got a boatload of venture capital money tossed at them. This company Darren started this 30 years ago. You don't stick around for 30 years if, you're, if your product sucks. You don't stick around for 30 years selling snake oil. At some point, the rubber has to meet the road, and there has to be some reality to this. So are there going to be these biological companies that just don't uh, make, it, make, it, make it? Of course, that's what's going to happen. But if you've been around for 30 years, you must be doing something right. So I would say that comparing using the Indianapolis 500 automobile manufacturing, I think the next three years are going to probably see as much consolidation and sorting out in three to five years as we've seen cropping up of the last three to five years. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And years down the road, we will be here doing the work that we're doing. So what's the near-term future for you? Will you travel slow down or do you have a lot more trips planned? 
winter meetings are, I mean, agriculture has this thing where they love to meet between sometime in November and sometime in uh, maybe early April, which is fine. You just end up, uh, you don't see your wife and dogs for a week at a time and you're bumping the road. From, you know, you saw my newsletter from Fargo to Key Largo and everywhere in between. Uh, that's okay. I'm here. I'm going to commodity classic. I'm going to then be uh, traveling pretty good with uh, some events in uh, Canada and in the, the Colorado, uh, the Dakotas again. Uh, so I'll be getting around. I think that uh, then usually I, I get things buttoned up with business um, for a while. And then about May 1st, I roll back to the farm, load up the doggies and my wife and, and uh, drive back to the farm. And then usually pretty busy for about a week, kind of getting things going back there. Uh, and then and then we start doing some work. I also work for Extreme Ag, so I have to do some uh, field day and some events with them during the May and June. Then you start doing ag speaking events again. It's it's not as hectic as it once was. I did about 42 or 43 speaking engagements last year. That's down from the old days back when I was a political comedian, geez, 25 years ago, and I would be doing 100 shows a year uh, at events, which usually figure two days of travel for every event. So it used to be about a 200-day-a-year a travel uh, schedule, and, and last year I was gone about 100 and some days and then another 30 days for Extreme Ag. So that's still plenty. I, I don't want to be gone any more than that, to be honest. And your dogs, I'd love to know their uh, breed and their names because it sounds like you're going to have quite a reunion when you get back. Jack and Rosa. Jack's a yellow lab and Rosa's a black lab. Uh, Jack has been trained to hunt. He and I go dove hunting together. I've, I just kind of missed it and didn't get Rosa trained, but she's uh, my hiking companion. They're, uh, they're lovers. They're, uh, they're, they're wonderful little pups, and, and they keep Mama happy when I'm gone on the road all this time, so it's a good thing. And I have Percy waiting for me at home. She's an Aussie, and we have quite a reunion every time I come home. I really appreciate your time and also visiting our headquarters. It's been tremendous. Thank you, Damien. Well, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. You know, uh, I, I, I like the what I saw here today. I, I like learning, and I like seeing that uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens. You know, it's not just sticking stuff in a jug. There's actually the, the science that goes into it, which is pretty cool. That will wrap up this episode. You can find out more about Damien at DamienMason.com. Please follow his podcast. Also, he has every episode on YouTube. And you can go to RedoxGrows.com to find out more about our company. You can find every podcast episode there and also product information, both conventional and organic. Thanks for listening.